The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, continuing our season preview team by team, all 30 teams around Major League Baseball, to get you ready for the 2023 fantasy baseball season. And it's been a lot of East Coast teams lately, so we're heading west, and I'm very excited about that because that's my neck of the woods, west. And in order to do that, we got a special guest to help break down the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I just want to call them the Anaheim Angels or the California Angels because that's what I grew up like. like this Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, like, that's a whole other podcast. But uh, we're going to break that down, the usual suspects, and much, much more. You can find this gentleman on Twitter at dprep80. Daniel Preppis, how you doing, my friend? Doing well, Bubba. Thanks again for uh, inviting me on. It was a really nice surprise because, uh, you know, lurking on all the podcasts, whatnot, and like, why can't somebody ask me? So you're the first, and I uh, I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Like, I, I always watch people that, like, when they're tweeting all this information and doing things, and I'm like, I kind of like a small list in my head. I'm like, I want to get them on. I want to get them on. And I'm like, wait a minute. I need an Angels person. He's an Angels person. Like, it's like the perfect storm. So I'm like, let's let's talk some Angels baseball. And then eventually one of these days we'll do a, a big fantasy one and have some fun with it. But uh, I'll hold you yeah. to that. No, it's fine. I'm, I'm in because I got a lot of ideas for this season that I'm going to kind of expand on things. I'm going to need more voices. So we will do some stuff for sure. And it works out because, well, I always like giving a little behind the scenes people. There's not a lot of West Coast recorders out here. So this is good for me. Yep. <laughs> and oh. so that like with a little girl and stuff where there's a window, it's tough. It, East Coast can be tricky. This is beautiful. It's like me and Bloomfield, me and Toby, we work perfectly because we're on the West Coast. It's like put the kids to bed. Let's record a podcast. Um, let's talk angels. Uh, you, you you follow the angels. You um, 
obviously are a fan of the Angels, which is a good and a bad thing at times. I don't want to go back to Dusty Baker uh, days because that still brings me trauma in 2002. We're not going to go there. but um, I want to go there, man. I got good stories about that. Although, let's do it. Let's do it. You, I was at game six. you were there? Yeah, I was at game six. Oh, man. Yeah, that was a... That was one of those I'll never forget. Never forget that God that the, the three and five years happened. Otherwise, I'd still be traumatized from that. I'll, I'll give you the uh, twenty second vignette because I don't want to torture you too much. <laughs> so we had seats in the, uh, the first row, of the top level, which are always my favorite, right above third base. So I remember before that inning when Spezio hit that home run, I was in the bathroom, and as I walked out because it was five nothing, there were two Giants fans hugging and crying. And I was like, son of a bitch, the game's not even over. And we were bitching, me and my dad, because we're like typical angels, right? When it matters most, they can't even score a run. They get shut down by freaking Russ Ortiz. <laughs> so it was it was really great. And the one thing I'll never forget, and um, I don't think I, this was talked about too much, but at the, at the beginning of the bottom of the seventh, Barry Bonds actually pointed to the ba- Baseball Tonight crew in center field and then pointed to his ring. Oh wow! Uh, finger. Uh, so there was some chance about no ring Barry, um, and uh, obviously I'll I'll leave it at that because uh, if you're an Angel fan, did it, uh, it didn't get much better than that. So no, that was good. And, and just you telling that story—that's one thing I love about baseball, any sport in reality, but baseball especially, like the fandom of baseball. This was 2002. We're talking over 20 years ago, and you you remember all the details. Like that's the beauty of it. Like like I remember. Um, watching Pablo hit three home runs in game one of the World Series off Verlander and the Tigers. Obviously, it's like 10 years after year 02. But I remember the 02. I remember being on the couch. I was in my fraternity house. And I remember sitting there going, why is Ortiz still on the mound, Dusty? Why is he still like, what are we doing? Like, this is simple stuff. Like, in, in, the, in the era we live in and now, Daniel, when we um, we watch baseball and how micromanaged the bullpen is, Dusty did the complete opposite. Like the complete opposite then. And yeah. um, it's just crazy to watch. Like he finally got his ring. Everyone's happy for him. He's a good guy. It's just the management managerial skills were a lot less to be desired back then. But um, yeah, that was a fun team. The The Angels were a fun, fun club. You know, Salmon still around there. You had Garrett Anderson. You had Edmonds, I believe, was still there. Was he there yet at that time? I think um, he had left. Uh, okay, he was he on, left, yeah. He went to the Cardinals by that time. He was already there. Okay, but you had just a fun team. Of, of ball players hanging out there and yeah um, and i don't i don't judge bonds i mean gloss was you know well he was on hcs so yeah <laughs> it's our entertainment it yeah. it evened out i i tell myself so uh yeah it was good times it was a good year and it's been um it was good for up until 2010 and it's been an absolute disaster ever since um we traded Napoli for Vernon Wells. Yeah, that worked out well. Um, it's just been an absolute train wreck. Uh, and that's all I want to go into the details of it because. Yeah, uh, I, I had a couple others, but I'm like, I'm going to leave it at that. I'll leave it yep. there because I, I, I get it. I get it. Um, but the bright side is at least what I think is just, and that's the fun thing about, I enjoy about doing my own shows. I can like do, like I, I'm a baseball fan before a fantasy player. That's just life. So I like to kind of incorporate the two from time to time. And um, just from the fan or just liking baseball standpoint, I love what the Angels have done this offseason. They've actually done stuff to maybe make themselves better around Trout and Otani, which they haven't really done a lot of, as you know. So that's what makes this podcast episode going to be fun talking fantasy-wise because there's actually some relevancy going throughout that lineup. 
so let's just kick it off at the top with the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mike Trout, who I like when I first started doing research on uh, looking back on 2022, uh, you know, a couple months ago, you look at Mike Trout's line and you're sitting there going, wow, I know he missed a lot of time, but he still hit 40 home runs in 119 games. He still did Mike Trout things in 119 games. Now, the difference with Trout right now is we know it's been an injury concern over the years. It's, it's kind of a trend now. It's, it's happened a bit. ADP is 22-ish since January 1st. How are you approaching him right now? Because, you know, in reality, if you can still get 40-plus home runs in 119 games, that seems kind of decent. Yeah, I think obviously it depends on format. Um, and doing a lot of DCs, the one thing that I've noticed – Everybody knows I'm a homer when it comes to Trout, um, admittedly so. Uh, he doesn't steal anymore. I don't care. Um, it, it, it's only a matter of time before he puts up a $50 season without steals. You know, I'm still convinced of it. You know, over 50, uh, over 50 home runs. It's kind of crazy that he hasn't done it yet um, because, honestly, easier said than done. All it takes is a full season. That's all it is. His slugging gets better every year. He crushes the ball all the time, and it's just kind of – it's the ultimate what if, right? Um, so we always dream on it. Um, you know, it's been tough. He's had back problems, which are scary. Um, I like to pretend I'm a doctor. He – it almost seems like he's gotten too big for his own good. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of – I wish he kind of stayed the same guy when he basically went 30-50 in, uh, in his rookie year. But hopefully it's, you know – I want to say we're due for him not to be injured, but I'll just say if he gets 500 PAs, I'll be happy. Um, cautious optimism, I'll put it that way. Yeah, I'm with you, though. It's because I think, you know, we've been so brainwashed forever for early picks having to get steals. But I think we've all started to look at, like, you know, your Jordans, your Pete Alonzos, and a bunch of these guys where it's you can build steals later. Like, that's an option, too. So a guy like Trout should really – you know, not get the push down that he was getting for a while. Like, I think it's more the injury concern because backs suck. There's no doubt about that. But I'm curious to see how he comes into camp this year because we're seeing a lot of these guys that got real bulky in recent years. They've started to kind of tone it down, and we've started to see some things change. Maybe he won't. Maybe that's just his his build from now on. Who knows? But uh, I'm with you. There's there's the thing, you know, even his floor with an injury is a pretty damn good season. If he just somehow, even if he's, you know, 119 is, if he plays 135 instead of 150, now we're talking what 45 home runs and, you know, you know, 95 runs in RBIs. Then you throw another tag, you just, you just start speculating little bumps along the way and he could really put together this monstrous stuff. I I think you made a really good point. um, And I forgot I was going to bring it up about, um, you know, call it zigging when everybody's zagging. I personally think, and I, I think you've talked about it with Toby. Average combined with power to me is so hard to find. Good luck finding it after pick 100. Good luck finding after pick 50. And you can build steals. You can find a lot of steals and not even going into the nobody knows what's going to happen this year. So I've had one bill where I started um, Judge Trout uh, Arenado. Probably regret the Arenado pick, but I was able to get up to my 120. Um, You know, whether it's guys like CJ Abrams. Um, you know, even Miles Straw, um, mm-hmm. you, you can really build the steals, especially in a DC, because, you know, if you want to throw in a guy that's all, all steals, you know, it would have been like an Eli White last year. You, you can make it work. Um, so I just really think 
trying to get your steals, your base, your first 60 and the first 100 picks, it's it's not the way to win, in my opinion. You're, you're playing for not to lose in, in that approach. And I'm stuck. I'm starting to feel the same way with you on that one because for years, like I said, I was kind of brainwashed. I wanted the, the all the steals early. I wanted all of my guys to get me 20-plus steals, all that kind of stuff. When, you know, even last night's episode with Toby, when our second outfield preview picks like like 100 to 170, there's a bunch of 10 to 15 stolen base outfielders. Like you can you can build things along the way, and, and that's, that's the beauty of these early seasons, kind of digging deeper and deeper and finding these guys. Like if you're willing to get this power and, and, and average early like we've talked about, Estuary Ruiz will get you 40 stolen bases later on if you want them. Like, he's not, but like, that's the kind of builds you can mix and match. There's a bunch of, like, you mentioned Miles Straw going super late. It's an option in, in certain formats if you want steals. So, you know, you got your Rileys, you got your Alonzos, you got your Yordans. I'll even put Vladner. He stole 10 bases, but I don't know about that. And Trout, like, there's these guys, like you said, average and power, very difficult to find together. Because, like, otherwise you got to go get Luis Arias, who does nothing but hits for average. And that's almost like a, a drain on you compared to let's go get Trout now type thing. So he's much more on my radar than he was before, which is very, very, very interesting to me. Right. And remember, it's last year was his latest ADP, right? Um, yep. I know I took him uh, – I think I took him 12 in the main, and I wanted Otani, and I got so tilted that somebody took uh, Robert over me that I was like, oh, Trout, and I'm like – Wow, way to choke in the very first round. So, uh, but it but it, it worked it out. Worked yeah, out. the Aussie Albies in the second didn't. But uh, the yeah. point is, um, he went anywhere from I want to say end of the first round, sometimes slipped to the middle of the second, and it seems like he's solidly in the middle of the second round. As yep. long as you're around pick twenty, uh, pick nineteen, you, you can get him. And you're talking about second round. You know, Jordan's a good comparison to him. Yep. If Jordan's going in the first round because everybody's all excited for him, yep. then Trout's a huge value relative to him in a second round. 100%. That's what I, I like looking at, the, the differences there when you want to build your rosters up. Let's talk Shohei Otani. Like, I put him down as a hitter and a pitcher on the sheet because that's what he is. But, you know, in NFPCs, you got to pick one of the each thing. So we can just knock it both out now if you want to because he has one ADP, which is a whopping – 10 right now and this dude is a unicorn he is amazing uh the power the speed the average the everything and then on the mound is a Cy Young pitcher like the dude's just great so how do you approach Otani come draft time because he's great a lot of people say the frustration with drafting him is knowing when to use him at which scenario which you're going to knock it right a lot of the time that's just the brass tacks of it all at the same time like in a DC especially now you have kind of 51 players when you look at it so how, how do you go about Shohei Otani well, I think that this is finally the year. I mean, last year he obviously uh, was a good pitcher. If he was just a pitcher, right, mm -hmm. he would be going, in my opinion, around Spencer's going or at the end of the second round okay. with, with upside to earn more, right? Yeah. So when you look at it that way, you're drafting a pitcher. Let's say you never used him as a hitter, mm -hmm. right? Yes, it's not the best use of draft draft capital, mm -hmm. but it's still arguably not a bad pick. Yeah. So the way I look at it is this is the first time, and particularly in a DC, where you can actually make it work. And if for no other reason, then this will be the first year, I don't know how many, that he's going to get some two-start weeks. And that's the big key, right? Yeah. 
Um, that's what everybody worries about with the six-man rotation. Otani's going to get 30 starts. That's basically what they're lining up. It's going to be at least a handful of two starts. He may even get up to 32. So you're talking about him getting, what, um, 180 innings. And as far as the hitting, you know, I remember the one time last year where I sat him, naturally he had four home runs. I mean, that was obviously expected. I, I think I wasn't the only one that did that. No, no. Um, so other than that, I think the way to look at it is you use him in one of the areas to get ahead. So as an example, you could just use him as a hitter. And then as your other arms go down, depending on how desperate you are in terms of needing those innings, he's kind of insurance for the innings. So it'll probably drive you crazy. But I think that this is the first year where I don't have the confidence to do it, but people that really know really good with the streaming, I think you can really max out your value. Um, I think more in a DC because that need for any healthy arm is a bigger deal than an OC. And I haven't really looked at it. So I think strictly from a draft and hold perspective, I personally think that he's the clear number seven pick. Okay. Um, so you're getting at a bit of a value right now is what you're yeah. saying. So relatively yeah. yeah. And, and, and if we want to throw another format out there, if anybody plays, um, the uh, cut lines kind of best volley formats he's number one folks like he's because they'll pick which one's the best time to put him out there and he is an extra player to your roster so yeah uh, that's just, cheat code that's yeah it, it's code. like if you don't have to take him number one but he better be like at the top two or three for you because like i would take him number one without even thinking twice in that kind of format because it just makes it real easy for you um he's, he's awesome he's amazing he's must see tv uh, I hope uh, we, we won't get into this because there's a lot of speculations, but uh, I hope for your sake, he comes back after next year. That's all I'm going to say. I, I'll, I'll try to say it uh, briefly, which means I'm going to drone on for about 10 minutes. <laughs> the one thing I will say, the Dodgers will never get him. That's all, never, that's all that matters to me. That's all that matters to me. I almost want to yeah. change my handle to never, ever, ever <laughs> Otani Dodgers because they yeah. think they're going to get him. If anybody's going to get him, it's going to be Steve Cohen for obvious reasons. Yep. And if you need a narrative for it, one of the biggest reasons they were able to get Shohei, the Angels, was Billy Epler. He had scouted him when he was a young kid. And unless I'm mistaken, I think Epler's still the GM of the Mets. Yep. Um, so I everybody says the West Coast, but my gut says, and I think it's a very simple equation. If we're out of the playoff race, if it's clear, like, oh, I don't know, every single year since, except for 2015, um, then whether or not he gets moved, obviously that's going to be a fascinating thing. But if we don't make the playoffs, he's gone. He should be gone. Um, and if we make the playoffs, I'm pretty confident that he's going to stay. Um, Artie's going to pay up for him. Uh, there's kind of some interesting uh, – <laughs> Things going on behind the scenes with the sale. Uh, we can get into that later, but it's fascinating. But long story short, if we make the playoffs, Otani's going to stay and Artie's going to pay up for him. So sorry to everybody else, but it's really that simple because he likes playing with the Angels. People like living in Southern California. They like doing it. Um, they're not fans, right? It's quality of life. So it's why Trout stays. It's a big reason. Um, and I just truly think that Angels win. Angels in the playoff hunt. Even if they don't make it to the series, he, he's going to stay. Um, and I'm very confident about that. 
Let's hope they're in the hunt because I'd like to see him and Trout give it a good go. Not the Angels are kind of putting pieces around them, which I'm liking to see. And let's talk about one of the pieces, Taylor Ward, who we saw get called up or start the year last year. Everyone, you know, was excited to see him. Came out the, the doors like gangbusters, had a little slump in the middle of the year, finished the season very, very strong as well, though. So there's a lot of positives. When you look at Taylor Ward, he's projected to lead off for the Angels. Um, what what are your thoughts on Taylor Ward right now? Because he's an ADP of 127. I I was kind of upset that some people were posting that he is uh, mispriced by a few rounds because that is absolutely accurate. I think he should be going, depending on preference, either right before or right after Brian Reynolds. Um, And to our point earlier about power and average, he's caught both. And I think when you look at Taylor Ward, he, if healthy, you know, the theme he's going to get 120 runs in that lineup. I mean, it's a joke. He's going to lead the league, maybe second to Mookie. Um, he's going to lead the league in runs. So runs alone is going to be massive value. He's going to lead off every single day. There may be some exceptions on a day off. You know, if Robbie Ray's pitching, you, you know, Luis Renjifa is going to lead off and probably hit two bombs off him. So other than a few exceptions day off, he is their leadoff hitter, and it's because he's got an amazing eye. And like I said, I could gush on him, but one of the coolest things about Taylor Ward is he has been refining his swing constantly. And he really didn't get a shot, and maybe he, he wasn't ready. You know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an expert in terms of, uh, you know, why a guy gets played or not. But he's just grinded in the cage, and if you watch his swing um, – it is so gorgeous because the barrel stays in the zone so long and you watch him when it's swing and it's just, he doesn't need to pull the ball. You know, everybody needs to pull to get barrels. He's not one of them. He, he's, he's a special talent. I remember of course, right after that, uh, no hitter, most least deserved no hitter ever. Um, yeah. He basically, I think it was, I want to say it was Jeff Possum that said the Taylor Ward breakout is real. Um, not that we needed that validation, but he's right. I mean, he is absolutely an MVP candidate. He is, we talked about power and average. He's one of those guys. And I think of anybody on the board, you should not be able to get a guy with 300, 30, 100, 100 runs, basically a $30 player. You should not be able to get him after pick 100 the stat cast page is gorgeous and he is absolutely mispriced i've been loving it i've had a couple of drafts where i've gotten say suzuki around 118 and taylor ward in the middle of of the next round and it's a joke it's a joke he should be going he should not last past the seventh round period love it i love it that's a i you said i've started to see a little more taylor ward love out there which has made me have to dive into him more and then your validation makes me realize, okay, maybe I need to refocus a little bit on what this guy's doing. And um, again, it goes back. If I think I like what the angels are doing, why would I not want the leadoff hitter in Anaheim at that point in the draft? So hundred percent agree with you on those. Uh, let's go to the hot corner. As long as he's healthy, which is a big if uh, in Anthony Rendon's career, it's like, it really sucks because, and I, I don't have to tell you, but they did use it for a great average power, like did it all like, or like didn't strike out a ton, walked a ton, like very, very, very good offensive talent. Uh, then just injuries, like just curtailed his entire, like last couple seasons, supposedly he's healthy. 
an ADP of 244, are we taking the price tag or are you just like, I'm out on Anthony Rendon? Uh, I've had to stop myself from drafting him uh, for obvious reasons because, I mean, look at the past few years. After the MVP season, he was solidly in the third round, right, the group of those guys. And then last year, people liked him around 120, 130, and he was a value there, right? Everybody said he was pick 45. Now he's after pick 200. It's not free, but it's pretty close to it. And again, looking at it from a lineup placement standpoint, right? Let's not say PAs. He's going to hit cleanup. And he's got Taylor Ward, Shohei Otani, and Mike Trout in front of him. I don't think you can ask for better three people in front of you on every on-base percentage, you know, ability to run. Taylor Ward's going to steal about five to 10 bases too. Um, That he is the perfect lineup placement. And obviously the issue with him and the signings reflected is the Angels are basically approaching it, betting on a big injury, meaning they are prepared if he is out of commission after a month. They are prepared to be conservative with him if they need to give him time off. And most importantly, I think they're prepared, and I think you'll see this is a theme with this team, to get him out of the game if it's not close because you don't take any chances with that guy. You want that guy, if nothing else, it's not great for fantasy. You want him to be healthy when we are hopefully in the playoff hunt. So I think the issue with Rendon from a later in the game sub out, I think you have to look at him. I'm pretty sure the projections have him for, you know, 400 PAs. But I think from a upside standpoint, I don't think you're going to see anything more than 550 PAs. And I think that that would be a huge win. And I think as long as you know that and as long as you work that into your projections and expectations, then then it's going to work out. So it's really just a matter of, and at that price, it's worth it, is just kind of having your expectations right, cross your fingers, hope and pray. And it's a good thing if he's taken out you know, yep. in the game because to your point, the guy just can't stay healthy. He's played, what, maybe half the games since he's been there. Now in the short season – the numbers were there, maybe not the you know surface numbers, but he was still killing the ball. He's always had great hard contact. And in terms of since then, he just hasn't been able to stay on the field. The one good thing I would say, um, because in offseason, you know, you're always – I hate, hate, hate drafting guys that ended the year in an injury where yep. you don't know where they're at at rehab. It's just I've learned the hard way from that. Yep. Rendon came back. At the end of the year, it's a good point. So that, if you want to have a leap of faith, if nothing else, he's already returned to the majors. He's not like rehabbing. All he's doing from reports is working on his strength. That's all he's doing. So again, best shape of your life. But I do think that at that price, anywhere from two twenty to two seventy, it's not a bad pick. And one of the things that I've done. Um, and it's hard because it's a puzzle with this team. I'm sure it won't work out. But I think putting Urshela yep. from an insurance put behind him is probably the only insurance move. And I say that because we'll get into the theme of 40 super utility players. Urshela is a third baseman. Yep. And he. I think the main reason that they traded for him, if nothing else, is Rendon insurance. And 100%. the utility part is really just to get him playing because 
The other theme that you see with a lot of these signings is contact, contact, contact. This is a team that struck out too much, probably partly because they had a, uh, I don't know, single A team at times last year. Um, but that's the theme. Urshela makes contact. Rendon makes contact. Yeah. Drury's got decent contact. Renhifo's got de- decent contract. They're going to put the ball in play. They're going to let the top of the order guys, if they get walked, that's fine. But they're going to put pressure on the defense. And so they're going to want Urshela's bat in there. But truthfully, they want him playing third base. They say he's going to play shortstop. I don't believe it. They say that he's going to play first base. I haven't seen it. Um, and he can play second base. So I really think um, – I, I know I'm kind of skipping around, but if you want to look at Urshela, Rendon Insurance mm-hmm. and a platoon with Jared Walsh. And that's the way to approach him in particular. But, again, bringing it up with Rendon, yeah. have a backup plan. But as long as you have a backup plan, it's a fine pick there. Yeah, it's kind of fun because, like, Rendon, ADP 244, 21st third baseman off the board. Urshela's got an ADP of 376. When they made that Urshela deal, I was kind of like, wow, is Rendon not even healthy? Like, what are we doing here? Because I'm with you. Like, all the reports started saying shortstop. So I'm like, no, he plays third base. He's not – like, you're not doing this with, with Urshela. So I was kind of confused there. Um so I've been liking Urshela in DCs at least because, you know, if Rendon gets hurt, he's a late – he's a bad and average asset, not a ton of power. But very, like you mentioned, the contact skills that Urshela brings to the table, which I definitely like in those kind of formats. I guess in a redraft, it's a little trickier. But in DCs for sure, uh, Urshela gains some weight at, at like that 376-ish ADP, uh, which I like quite a bit. Another move that the Angels made this offseason – The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. One second, I'm back, I'm back, that was me. Um, Oh, that was you? I was like, what did I do? Okay. One thing that, uh, one move that I really, really liked, um, that the Angels made this past year was bringing in Hunter Renfro. And uh, the reason I like this move, it was not too expensive, of course, but it also brought another power source. You mentioned all the contact guys that they brought. This is a different situation. It's like, hey, let's bring some thump. Let's uh, see what we can do to this lineup. And um, an ADP that's kind of followed in uh, in lockstep here with uh, – I think people are in on him is what I'm trying to say. ADP of 150 for Renfro – who last year hit 29 bombs the year before that, 31. Most of his career, 33, 26, 26. 
hits around 250-ish, give or take. Not a bad fallback plan hitting fifth in your lineup. So how are you approaching Renfro? Not a lot of steals, but if you want some power and an okay batting average around 150, it's not too bad. Steals are overrated. Let's stop talking about steals. We can get to that. No, um, I think by far and away, he's that move was great on so many levels. Like, thank you, Brewers, for being cheap and having all of these outfielders that, you know, should pan out, but, um, you know, they're in kind of a weird rebuild. So that was an absolute gift. And the one thing about Renfro, to your point, I mean, look at how averages cratered last year, right? How many guys? I've been saying it forever. The league average is like 235 now. So Renfro always had a problem with average. So now you got two years in a row of decent average, but that 250 last year, I mean, honestly, (laughs) that's a 275. And I'm not saying he's a 275 hitter, but the fact that he did that last year is a reason to get excited about him. Um, And, you know, just like every other, unfortunately, right-hander in that lineup, he's going to kill lefties. Lefty pitchers are going to hate facing the Angels. Maybe the worst team uh, for a lefty to have to face. But to Renfro, I think his price is actually relatively similar to last year. Um, I think he went, I don't remember, I want to say he went anywhere from like 160 to 190 last year. But he's hitting fifth. He's going to hit fifth most days. And I don't think, and again, every little bit counts, I don't think he's a guy that you're going to see subbed out later in games. Maybe real late, but they need that bat. He's a good fielder. Um, he, he seems to be getting better each year. And I really think the way I look at Renfro is, yes, he's got RBI upside, but I think he's one of the safest from a floor perspective, 30 home run hitters, without an average that's going to kill you. So I think he's not a bad pick. I think he's a very safe pick. Um, not crazy upside, but not every pick can be that way. And I think that he's a very, very, very good value. And anytime you're picking him after 150, he's probably the only outfielder that I really like once you get past that kind of 100 to 130 glob, which is a bunch of interesting, really high variance guys. And so I think that once those guys go off the board, I think Renfro is a snap pick if you need power. Easy, easy pick. And I'm excited to have him because I I think he's going to drive in a lot of runs in that lineup. 100% 100% with you. I think it's it's a big spot. And and also, God forbid, something does happen to Rendon. Well, Renfro probably moves into the fourth spot in the lineup. So it just gets even better, all things considered, uh, when it comes to, to to Renfro. Let's talk Brandon Drury here. And this is when we know we had the big season between Cincinnati and San Diego last year, near, nearly 30 home runs, which really shocked many people. If you talk to D-backs fans, they're not happy because that was not the Brandon Drury they knew. Um, you know, projections still have him close to 20 home runs this year. We know the contact skills are very good, as you mentioned before. Kind of a super utility guy. Looks like they're penciling him in for second base right now. What are you hearing there? Like, is he an everyday second baseman for Anaheim? Or how are we going about that? Because for fantasy, when you look at ADP, ADP of like 205 with first base, second base, and third base eligibility is pretty juicy. Yeah, but don't do what I do did and make him your first first baseman and back <laughs> him up with other utility guys. Oh, and particularly Brandon Belt because um, – that's a sure way to lose, so I'm real happy about that. Um, Drury falls into the same bucket as Urshela and, to a lesser extent, Renjifo. Nobody knows how they're going to distribute the at-bats. The projections reflect that. All of those guys, somewhere between 450 and 550 PAs, 
Nobody knows. I don't even think Nevin knows. I think it's we can't have enough depth. And to avoid starting the David McKinnons or Juan Lagarises, we need as many guys as possible. And you, you could almost make the argument that we could use more, not just from a depth perspective, but to your point, we're not sure what he's going to bring to the table. Now, Angel Stadium has become, especially with what they did in right field, it's a pretty hitter-friendly stadium. So unlike San Diego, I don't think he's going – I think that it's not going to be as good as Cincinnati, but there's a lot of good narratives with him. Uh, you know, Ryan Venancia likes to tease me that I don't know anything about numbers, but uh, I can come up with good BS narratives. Um, so I'll, I'll take that as an insulting compliment. Yes, that, but, is, that is a very good compliment. <laughs> um, so the coolest narrative, and this is a theme with – and I would say Phil Evans kind of to this point before I get into it. I really, really, really believe he's the perfect manager at the perfect time for this team. In fact, one of the reasons I have the most hope for the Angels is I just think everybody loves him, respects him, and I think he respects his players. I don't want to talk badly about Madden because he speaks for himself, but I don't think Nevin's got an ego. Nevin's a journeyman manager. I mean, the guys, I want to say he is the coaching mirror image of Brandon Drury, and they know each other. Um, they had a strong relationship at the Reno Aces back in 2016, um, and it's a theme with Nevin. He knows these guys, and actually, um, I think it was Rosenthal and Bloom had a great story about it. I recommend it in The Athletic, where they were talking to each other, and actually, Drury grew up here, huge fan. He was a fan from a, basically the one good decade we had. And Nevin told him to sign with the Reds. He told them that you're going to get a better chance to play. So they already liked each other. Obviously, that was the right recommendation. And they're very, very close. And I think one of the reasons that's important, especially when we talk about utility guys across the board, is I don't think these guys are going to have egos. Meaning I think if, as an example, Drury crushes lefties, everybody knows that. It's TBD on righties. Um, I think it's one of those things where think of it like a competition. I think Drew's going to get a chance to play most every day. If he's hitting righties, he's going to be in the lineup every day. So the risk is obvious. It's the same risk with Urshela. It's the same risk with Renjifo, which is don't bet on every day. Bet on three or four games a week. Set your expectations about that because as it is now, they are not everyday players. All it takes is one injury, you know, playing hot. Um, and so what's interesting about Drury is I wonder when they traded for Urshela, because when they traded for Urshela, Nevin came out and said he's an everyday guy, right? Yep. And then all of a sudden they signed Drury. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was confused too. I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> and you can read this in things. The fact that they refer on one hand, I think there was one article that, that covers it best. They're talking about how, He's going to get 500 at bats. And then at the end, it says he's an everyday player. So when you see those two things in the same article, yeah. that tells you that if Sam Bloom doesn't know, right? Um, and Rosenthal doesn't know. And here's the thing Nevin doesn't know. Yep. And he's admitted that. So I think you just have to be a little bit careful in a DC. Don't do what I do. But <laughs> Urshela backing up Rendon, great. But don't expect these guys to be full-time players. Be pleasantly surprised. 
I do think Drury's got a better chance to play every day than Urshela because I think Drury has a little bit more experience at first. Not short. He can play second. He can even play the outfield a little bit. So I do think if you had to choose between Drury, Urshela, Renjifo, who's the everyday player? I think the money, two years, 17. And remember, he had offers from other teams for more money. That was a crazy contract, man. 217. That's just nuts to me. It's the one time the Angels didn't buy high. That alone makes me believe. Um, It's a great contract. He wants to be here. He grew up here. All the narratives are there. Respects Nevin. There's not going to be an attitude. So I really think that Drury, to your point around 200, he's a great guy to bet on. And I think looking at him and saying, well, you know, you know, measure, you know, whether it was going to San Diego, you know, set your expectations. I, I think uh, the forecaster talks about it, you know, see the warning, don't bet on it. I think it's fine to bet on him because in that park with that lineup hitting sixth, um, maybe higher up um, some days, he's got upside. He's got big time upside. And I, and I think it would be a mistake to not draft him because you think he's going to regress a little bit. I think it's up in the air what he's going to do. We know he's going to crush lefties, and I think if you see him hitting righties early in the season, I think that means he's a huge buy, and that's all you need to to see. Because if he's hitting righties, he's playing every day. Yeah, and all it takes is one injury, and he may be playing every day anyway. That's that's the thing with all these guys, like you mentioned, with with Drury and um, Urshela and Rangifo. Let's just talk Rangifo real quick while we're here. Like he's projected to be the starting shortstop, but. Somehow David Fletcher's still around, and that's not going to disappear. They want there's the rumblings of Rushilla potentially playing shortstop, which I don't believe in. Not happening. Um, yeah. Happen. So like, how do you look at Rangifo? Because if you look at ADP, it's like Drury's around 200, Rangifo's around 285, you got Rushilla around 380. Um, is that the order you kind of see it should be in, or is there some potential upside between one of those picks there? Well. I love Ren Hifo. Ask Scott Genstad. I've been the biggest homer of Ren Hifo all year long. Uh, sorry, for multiple years now. And don't forget, everybody hated on uh, Moreno yep. for nixing that trade, which I'm sure there was other reasons behind it. That w- They would have lost Ren Hifo for Jock and Ross Strickland. Um, and the one good thing about last year is Ren Hifo got a lot of playing time way more than he otherwise would have. And that's a key thing. He is, um, he's a utility player. Um, People don't like that. That doesn't mean he's a bad player. Ben Zobrist was a utility player. Yeah. And the one thing that was a pleasant surprise, and this is the good thing, he mashed lefties and good lefties. He jumps on the first pitch. If you're a lefty, you don't want to face him. So he's going to be in the lineup every day, I think, against lefties the issue with Renjifo is it's not that he's a terrible shortstop but he's not good um he's average or below average and for all the good he did last year obviously put up a great second half his numbers against righties are bad um his on base percentage is not good um I think the best way to kind of explain why he's a utility player he got the. He was nominated for the first time ever the utility gold glove. So he is <laughs> says utility, it all. right. He's a utility player through and through. Now I don't say that to say he can't reach another level because um, he is a talent. We've liked him since we've got him. But if you look at Renjifo and you think, and and I say this more for him versus Drury, 
he is not an everyday player. He is not the starting shortstop. And I, I love, you know, obviously the roster research guys do great work, but that is such a gate edge to have to fade the um, roster restarts depth chart. And Renjifo is a classic one. He is not the starting shortstop. He'll play shortstop, but David Fletcher is the only above average fielding shortstop on this team. And David Fletcher, for all intents and purposes, I think Nevin's going to start him more at shortstop than Renjifo. And I think Renjifo, when he plays um, against lefties, I think it will mostly be second base. They may experiment him with left field, but he's the other thing about Renjifo. He is uh, generate a lot of trade interest. He's the Angels' best uh, trade chip. I don't think alone he's going to get something. It's going to take him and Renji- uh, sorry, him and Sandoval or him and Suarez uh, to get somebody. One of the ideas that was tossed around is, you know, trading Renjifo. Uh, I don't think Suarez would get it done, but somebody like Renjifo and Sandoval for a Willie Adamas, since uh, we'll take all of the Brewers' uh, things. That's the only type of shortstop I think that the Angels would kind of call it blow up their plan to mix and match. If they don't get a guy like Adamas, I think Phil Nevin's going to tinker. And what I mean by that is Fletcher hitting at the bottom bottom of the lineup. He's a great fielder. He's a gamer. Um, he, he makes the team better, right? And without the shift, I know we overemphasize it, but it does make a, a shortstop more important. So I would say as of now versus righties, David Fletcher's starting shortstop. And Renjifo, I think if you look at him for anything more than 450 A's, I don't, I don't think that's wise. So it's great in a DC. He's got second and third, may get short, but he is not a starter. He's a utility player. He's a great utility player, but that's what he is right now. Okay. Uh, a couple more bats I want to talk about here real quick. Uh, Jared Walsh, what the hell happened to Jared Walsh last year? Like so much optimism entering the season and it just fell apart like a ton of bricks, 15 homers, 30.4% K rate hit 215. It was just all over the map for him. Um, ADP 336 though, if you believe in a bounce back. So what are your thoughts on Jared Walsh? Well, I'll give you the positive to Jared Walsh first, and then it's followed by lots of negatives. The poor performance, I think, can be explained by the injury. Um, you know, thoracic outlet syndrome is, you know, talk about something scary. It's it's not a body part. It's blood flow. You know, <laughs> I mean, I don't know a lot about it. Nobody does. Um, but to me, that's scary. And he said he'd been suffering with it for a long time. So being relieved of the pain, that's good. I don't think you can read into the performance. I think he is the hitter he was in 2021. I think the upside is there. Now, here's the bad. Find me a hitter that has come back from thoracic outlet syndrome. And here's the hint. You can't. Yeah. Mike Zunino is the only other one. Zunino had his surgery at the end of, I think it was at the end of June or July. He had it a month before um, Walsh. So they said, people reading into it, oh, he's expected to be ready by spring training. That means absolutely nothing to me. Somebody's not going to, if they don't know, say, I don't think I'm going to be ready. He is a giant question mark in every one of the Angels' moves. Similar to Rendon, but nobody knows. The Angels don't know. 
when they interviewed, I think it was on MLB Network, Jared Walsh, you could tell that he's still rehabbing. And when he says, I'm rehabbing, I read between the lines and saying, I don't even know if he's going to be ready for opening day. And we don't even know if he's going to be able to perform. Maybe he doesn't even know. So the price is okay. But number one, you don't know. And number two, he's going to get platooned. Yeah. That, that's almost a lock. Um, he, he's going to get platooned mostly with Urshela. So you're talking about a platoon bat that nobody knows if he's going to be right. I don't draft players like that. Yeah, and I don't good, think you should point. either, especially at a shallow position, if you draft like I do and play it stupid and wait. <laughs> he, he should be your third, third baseman in a DC, and he should be going undrafted in an OC. He is not somebody to gamble on, in my opinion, even at 300. That's, that's how much of a question mark I have with him. And I love the guy. I think it would be great. But everything that the Angels have done says one thing. Nobody knows if he's going to be good. Every, everybody feels the same way. So it's a giant question mark. And if you like to gamble, that's fine. But don't be surprised if with any kind of result. Nobody knows. All right, let's go behind the dish here. And uh, you guys traded for a little Logan Ohapi last year. Uh, Big-time prospect catcher. Uh, really good hit tool. You got a little cup of coffee last year. And you've had Max Stassi for years, and like there's always a little bit of optimism, just never panned out, just never ever panned out. So it looks like Oh Hoppy might get the 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 job out the gate. I'm still kind of hesitant on that just because he's a rookie, but I hope he does. I'm rooting for it. So what are you hearing about the catching situation in Anaheim? And is Ohapi at an ADP of 256 worth uh, drafting? He should be going where Bo Naylor's going. Uh, he okay. should be going um, uh, where maybe not Andy Rodriguez, but he, he should not be going where, again, it's relative. Where guys are, okay. Right. He should not be going where guys that are getting 65 uh, or 60 percent of, of the PT. Here's the first thing. There's been rumors that he's going to start in the minors. I don't know if I necessarily buy that. Um, I think he very well could make the team. But you haven't heard a lot about Stassi in the offseason, but. Nevin's been clear that that's his starting catcher. So Ohapi can take the job. Um, he's got great defense. That's the good, meaning you're not going to see things like Hoppy needs to work on his defense. But I think at best case scenario to start the season, you're looking at a, you know, a two to one timeshare, 30% of the starts. He's, I think people are getting a little aggressive and I love him. I'm very excited for him. But I think the right way to look at Ohapi, and this is interesting, don't forget about Matt Theis. Um, yeah. And what's interesting about Theis, and I bring it up with him, is Theis is out of options, right? Now, on the one hand, you could say, well, that means Theis is going to, you know, they're going to have to carry him or release him. I look at this as a real audition for Theis between the two of them. And I think if Theis beats out Ohapi, if he earns it, I think it's a true competition. I think Theis starts in the majors and they're going to give him a chance. And I think if Ohapi beats him, I think Thais gets DFA'd. And I think the way that the Angels are looking at it is if he doesn't perform in spring training, if Ohapi beats him, if Thais gets DFA'd, no one's going to pick him up. So I think they're willing to take that risk. So I think the right way to look at Ohapi is in spring training, it's a true competition for the, um, what's the word, short side or the, can't think of yeah, the phrase. Short side uh, of the platoon type thing. Short side yeah. of the platoon or whatever catcher version. 
Yeah. Um, but it's a competition between him and Tice. And I think that's the way to look at it. So if yeah. he's if he's, you know, basically beating, uh, doing better than Tice, he's going to start in the majors. But I think he's a bad, bad pick there because you, you better have a backup for him. And maybe that backup is Stasi because everything I've read and heard, Stasi's healthy. He's still Nevin's guy. Um, you know, chalk it up to a bad year. So if nothing else, he's going to give Stasi a chance to not be as awful as he was. Um, on defense i think he had some injuries i don't know if he had a surgery but there may be an explanation of why he went from bad to atrocious yeah that, that'll be interesting because stasi's got that 550 adp so definitely something to keep an eye on and take a shot for potentially uh later in drafts uh for sure let's go to the mound now for um anaheim we already talked to shohei otani Let's talk about another one of their new acquisitions this year and Tyler Anderson, 288 DP, dominated for the Dodgers last year. Doesn't strike out many people, though, but the ratios were good. Bunch of innings. How do you foresee this playing out in Anaheim? Because I just don't like drafting guys that don't strike people out very often, but maybe I'm missing something here with Anderson. Well, where's he going? Around 300? About 280, yeah. Okay. So he's not costing you much, which is He's fair. going there because he doesn't strike people out. That's very true. Very true. He is going to be, in my opinion, people worry about the six-man rotation. I'll get into that. It's, it's overblown. It, it's Don't focus on the label. Focus on the facts, what it means, how many times they start. I think Tyler Anderson is going to be the guy that, again, be careful with third time to the lineup, but I think Nevin's going to ride him and ride him hard. So I think he's a guy that's going to get 180 to 190 innings. Him and Shoei are going to get the most. He's going to get the most two starts, and he's the perfect DC pick. I mean, he is exactly what you want in a pitcher. He's going to chew up innings, give you a better chance to get wins. And, and I really think that, again, depends on the format. But if you need a guy to eat innings and get your wins and not kill you in terms of strikeouts and things like that, I think he's being underrated. Um, and I, I understand why. But, you know, just because he left the Dodgers doesn't mean he's going to revert back. The Dodgers make guys better. And then they stay better, Maeda, Stripling, and things like that. So there's nothing to suggest that Anderson is essentially going to regress. Um, obviously, I think that, you know, it goes without saying that the numbers will regress. Um, but I think he's the clear number two on this team. They paid him money like they're going to ride him. And he's not going to be baby. I think you're going to see a lot of games when he's on. They're going to let him go into the seventh and eighth. And I think if you're looking for a pitcher on the Angels, with the most wins upside, like anybody knows he's going to get wins. But if you sure. base it on them, how deep you're going to games, Tyler Anderson um, is definitely the guy you want. Safe, reliable, floor pick. Um, yeah, big fan, obviously, with the obvious caveat with the strikeouts. And it makes sense. You mentioned the innings and the ratios and stuff, and it's not an NFPC trait, but like those that play points leagues or underdog or anything like that, due to the innings and the ratios, he gets a ton of quality starts. The last great, two years, for great for head-to-head. Yeah, Perfect. he's been back to back years. I, I did a quality start just the last two years, and he's like I think he had over fifteen in both seasons or something, which not many guys did. So uh, definitely in those formats, he has even more value. So I just wanted to bring that up with Tyler Anderson. Let's talk Patrick Sandoval, Kung Fu Panda over here. Um, interesting stuff. Like the talent is undeniable. Ratios were good. Strikeouts were good. We know he likes to walk a few guys. Um, limited the home runs big time this past year. ADP of 215. I've always been a Sandoval fan. Um, obviously, like I said, though, you have to 
whip wise can be interesting. But um, how do you look at Sandoval this year? Because you already mentioned he could be in a trade for all things considered, but the talent's very good. I don't know if using the word post-hype sleeper is appropriate, but I think you know where I'm going with that is he was yeah. everybody's darling last year. Yeah. You know, started 250, got pushed up to 180, 170. And it's like everybody dreamt on, you know, complete game. He has a couple of times where he goes 12 strikeouts. And so he didn't blow up and not blow up, but he didn't kind of break out in a, to the next level. But look at the numbers. I mean, the whip is the only complaint. And to people saying that, you know, six man, he's not going to have a lot of innings. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he threw 150 innings. I, yeah. I don't have the numbers in front pretty of Pretty close, me. yeah. Um, so that's another guy, you know, 26, 27. He's not going to be babied. Nobody's going to be babied this year. Um, it's just going to be a matter of whether it's third time in the lineup or guys that can kind of hit, um, you know, where he's weak. Um, but if anything, he is – He's a great pick around where he is, I think, around uh, 220 um, yeah. and the Detmers. But I think I think the great thing about Sandoval is I don't think anything's changed. And he was remarkably consistent in terms of two years in a row, you know, really good ERA, solid strikeouts. And you never know. There could be another level, right? The command could show up. So really like him. It's definitely the time to buy right now. Uh, particularly because, like I said, it's that weird kind of post-hype. He, he didn't hit what we wanted him to, so he was only really, really good. Um, so, uh, And he's our three. Yeah, which is nice. Um, and I hate making this comparison because I'll get yelled at by many people because it's not exactly one-to-one, but a lot of the traits that we see with the walks, but the strikeouts and other things, a lot of Robbie Ray and, and Patrick Sandoval, uh, the early Robbie Ray stuff. So I'm not saying he's going to make that transition because people are going to get pissy about that. But uh, I think there's something there. Like you said, if you could ever get that command in, there is another level potentially, which could be pretty fun to see. Let's talk Jose Suarez now, another guy, you know, over 100 innings this past year. Less strikeouts than Sandoval gives him a few more home runs, uh, which affects the ratios. A lot of ups and downs with, with, with Suarez. We had to, like he could be streamable at times. It felt like, but other times he kind of like didn't want to be near him. Uh, ADP of three sixty though doesn't cost you much. So how do you look at Jose Suarez? There's a reason why I said the Angels should trade Sandoval and not Suarez because anybody that buys Suarez in another team is buying low and buying right before the breakout. Here's the difference between Suarez and Sandoval. Suarez has gotten a little bit better each year. Um, and that's what to get excited about him. He's a good pitcher. And we don't know the upside, but a guy that gets a little bit better each year, to me, when you're getting a little bit better, you're in the mid threes, he's a really, really, really good pitcher. And I think, again, a little bit of a homerism, but you want to talk about the guys that go in that range, you know, Jose Quintana. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other guys that obviously very forgettable. Um, he is absolutely the best pick in that and range. And I think he's kind of the last guy before it really is like, um, you know, time to forget about starters or time to grab the, uh, I like to call him the, the Jordan Lyles of, of yeah. the draft, which is just, I don't want to pick him, but I'm worried if I don't, I'm going to get screwed on pitching. Yeah. So I think Suarez is a fantastic price and Honestly, of all the guys that are the best bet to take another step, I would say if you put him and 
Detmers and Sandoval, I think Suarez is the best bet to continue to improve. And that's not a knock on the other guys. It's just, you know, I've heard some comparisons. I, I don't necessarily agree with it, that he's kind of like a Nestor Cortez. Obviously, everybody's looking at it. But I think he's a really, really good pitcher. Okay. Um, and I think he doesn't get enough love and doesn't get another, enough respect. But at that price, it's a no-brainer. No-brainer pick. And you mentioned Detmers, who we know he went down to the minors, pitch mix change. It's been well-documented. was amazing when he came back. Kind of slowed down a bit towards the end of the year, but still a lot better. Uh, when he came back up here, ADP is only 204. So out of the Sandoval, uh, Detmers, Suarez range, it goes um, it goes Detmers, then Sandoval, and then Suarez much later than him. So how are we looking at Detmers this year? Because like you said, Sandoval, we know who he is. He's very good. Maybe he gets better. He's 10 picks after Detmers. Suarez is almost 150 picks after Detmers. So how are you looking at Detmers this year? Well, I think uh, a guy that knows pitching, and I listened to his podcast last night, said it best uh, on the pitcher list. He's got everything you look for for a big breakout. And somebody was asking me uh, in our draft, you know, Sandoval and Detmers, they seem the same. No way. I would say once you get past, I honestly think he's a better pick than Freddie Peralta. Like, no brainer. And I say that because he threw 130 innings. That's and what people good. forget about this guy is he was a top 10 pick. And when he was a top 10 pick, the only reason people said he was a mid-rotation starter was because they thought the fastball wasn't going to be fast enough and he only had the curveball. And he was the number one, 10 pick. He raced through the minors. How many games did he strike out 10 plus? He's got everything you look for in not a number two, but an SP1. And here's where I'm going with that. Everybody knows that he tinkered with the slider. Um, that was kind of the issue. Here's the real good sign about Detmers. He was able to fix that slider within weeks of him being set down. He is a very, very, very smart pitcher. He's a hungry pitcher. He wants to learn. And here's the best part. I like it. The wait, there's more. <laughs> to everything that Nick said, he's the easiest breakout uh, pitcher. He's working on a changeup. You know, now you can get excited, but we saw what it did to Lincecum, right? Oh, I'm not yeah, trying to make that. Up. Yeah. I think that Detmers at pick 180, I think people are going to be really, really, really um, a lot of FOMO for not picking it because I think he's a guy that come next year, if he hits that breakout, I think you're looking at a top 50 pick. And I, and I really mean that because the strikeout upside is there. All the tools are there. And again, he's going to get up to 150, 160 innings from a floor perspective. And I think, again, homerism aside, I think in that range, call it anywhere from 150 to 200, he is leaps and bounds a better investment bet for a breakout than anybody else. I don't even think it's close. Nice. That's a ringing endorsement there, folks. Um, and I'm not going to deny it because we've seen the, the the upside there. And if Pollock's talking changeup, that's a big plus to add to, to Detmer's arsenal for sure. Um, it's it's interesting when looking at the, the Angels rotation. It's Shohei and then four lefties. So uh, for those that like to play weekly stuff, uh, keep that in mind when you're looking if they're facing the Angels that week. Uh, when we head to the bullpen, this is where it gets really interesting to me. Carlos Estevez uh came over from Colorado and people are pretty 
pretty pumped up on him and are, are kind of anointing him the closer. But, you know, Jimmy Hergert's got some chances. You have Tapera. You have some other options kind of in that bullpen. How are you uh, attacking the Angels' bullpen from a saves perspective? He's mispriced, and I'll tell you why. Bud Black, basically, I guess, when communicated with Nevin and the team, said he wants to close and he can close, and he'll be able to close. And Nevin said multiple times after the signing is, we want him at the back end of the games. We're going to give him a chance to be in the back end of the games. He didn't say, we're going to have him and Hergit. So I think everything you ask for in terms of having the role, they are going to give him a chance. He is basically, it's his job to lose. And that's the way that I put that. That is clear to me. So again, there are question marks, right? Just because he's out of Colorado doesn't automatically mean it's going to be better. But from a chance to secure a full-time role, it's absolutely his chance. He will get the first chance. And Nevin wants him to be there because it allows him to use Herget and Tapera in the way he wants to. Nevin wants to have a full-time closer. And Estevez is going to get that shot. Uh, he was paid money to get that shot. But Black said to give him the shot. So I think he should be going... You know, if Leclerc's going around 170, then I think Estevez should be definitely within the, the top 200. Um, yeah, he's, so he's 255 right now, which is crazy. Yeah, that's that's a layup. Yeah, that's that, that's pretty crazy. So, yeah, no, I've heard a lot of smart people saying take advantage of the Estevez thing, and um, and most drafts I'm in, he's going much earlier than 255. So I wish I was in some of these drafts that have made that uh, ADP stay down there. I'll say that much because I think there's some sharp people that are on to exactly what you're saying as well um any other guys to maybe speculate on in deeper rounds in dcs uh like i guess herget and Tapera would be the two guys probably um yeah i mean herget's just gonna be a guy you throw in there if you don't have anybody else um Tapera's is interesting um our signings last year of aaron loop and Tapera just look so bad right now um just awful specifically loop but Tapera was really bad in the first half. He figured some things out. Um, he wasn't missing bats. He looked so hittable in the first half. And he found something in the second half and looked like the guy that people specced on. So I would say if you're looking for insurance with the roster now, and based on what Nevin wants to do, I would probably say that even though him and Herget saved the uh, got the role, I think Tapera is the one a guy, if you have to pick one for insurance, I think it would be him. Um, but again, all bets are off if Estevis doesn't get it. Um, but I think Tapera is the closest thing to a uh, next spec uh, guy in that bullpen. All righty. Uh, let's talk potential prospects that could have an impact this year. Maybe they don't have any. Some teams we've noticed don't have any that are expected to be up this year, but maybe there are a few to keep an eye on. So are there any you know, late round speculations or just people to keep an eye on down the waiver wires or whatnot throughout the season that could have a fantasy impact? Yeah, let's just forget about hitting because we can't develop hitters uh, <laughs> to save our farm system. So um, the only interesting one is Zach Nito. Um, they're saying he's not going to make it till 2024. Um, I love him. And they say he doesn't have the great defense, but, you know, it looks great to me. <laughs> you know, I, I think he's a great player. And I think the one reason that they may not trade for an Adamus is I think that he, they want to give him a chance to be a shortstop of the future, maybe move him to second. So 
he's an interesting kind of last few rounds pick, you know, since they're mostly throwaways. But uh, deeper investment guys, I think the three you want to talk about is Canning, Silseth, um, and a guy for the 50th round, and I'll talk about him in a second, um, and Kai Bush. But um, I think that of those three, Silseth, I can't even say that, is he's the one guy you're going to want to get. Um, he's going to be the guy that when they go to a six starter, and to your point, particularly because he's right-handed, he's going to get the first shot. Um, he showed enough, keeps the ball on the ground. He's got the most swing and miss stuff of any other guy that's not in the rotation. So I think Silseth is a great pick around 600 or, or there because he's going to start. Um, and um, I don't know how he's going to use him, but if for whatever reason Nevin doesn't want to use a lefty, it's going to be Silseth. But um, because he's got options, he's going to get he's going to get the uh, not the Oliveris treatment. But what was it? What who are the guys on the Dodgers that constantly got cycled? Um, oh, I know you're talking about. There's a couple of pitchers that kept going up and down and up and down with the Dodgers. And I know what you're saying. Yeah, maybe it was Urias for a while, but but it wasn't that's, for a while. Yeah, right. that's the only thing with Silseth is you're going to see him shuttled constantly because why wouldn't they? Um, yeah. What they're doing it. So I, I think he's a great guy to have with an injury um, or two, hopefully not, uh, he could very well secure a rotation spot because he's right-handed. Um, Canning, back injuries, hasn't pitched for a couple of years. I think Canning is destined for the pen. Or maybe kind of whether it's the kind of bulk relief, him and Silseth. But I think uh, Canning is a guy, um, he's a fine guy to spec at the end. But you're not going to get more than 50, 40. If we get 40 or 50 innings from him, that's a boon because he hasn't been on the mound. He's still a good pitcher. Um, all signs point to him being close to ready. Um, but again, it, that's just a guy to fill your lineup. So I think of the three, I think Silseth is a good investment. Um, I think you've seen a lot of smart people take him. Uh, and I just think that he's the kind of guy that I'm trying to think of the right way to put this. Um, He's one of those guys you want to get that's not in the rotation but will be. So a sure. uh, big fan of Silfeth. You're not going to get two start weeks, um, but what do you expect when you're picking a guy at the end of the draft? Yeah, no doubt about that. I did want to ask you, though, just out of curiosity, what's going on with Joe Adele and Mickey Moniak? Uh, I, I mean, at this point, Adele's just – I mean, it's not just the bat. It's the defense and the bat. He's an amazing athlete. You know, I love seeing his videos where he can jump, you know, 50 inches high. Um, I think I've seen it for multiple off seasons. But as of now, he's a bust. He's in the Lewis Brinson's um, depressing. I bought some of Lewis Brinson's cards. Smart move there. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, he's a bust. And um, I think at this point uh, – Certainly with this year, maybe he's the kind of guy that you you hate to sell low on a guy, um, but I think he's the kind of guy that you throw in with a Ren Hifo or something like that. Um, I think it's done. If if he comes back, it's a pleasant surprise. Moniac's a question mark. Uh, yeah. Nobody knows with him. I, I was excited with him at first as the fourth outfielder, um, obviously with Brett Phillips being a much better fit. So I think Moniac's the kind of guy that when there's an injury, um, they may bring him up. But he's an interesting guy, right? He's another question mark. I have no no clue what to think. Um, but if you had to look at him and look at the profile, 
he's not a major league either. So I think it's yeah. just sad the two of them, and maybe we'll be surprised. Yeah. All right. I was just curious because like there was little glimpses of hope with Moniak before he got hurt last year, and but yeah, little glimpses is the key there. And God, Odell. But um, yeah, that'll uh, probably wrap us up. Do you have any final thoughts on the Angels, the Halos for 2023? Because uh, it's a lot more optimistic than it's been in recent years. I have to say that much. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll just give you some general high-level thoughts. Feel free to uh, cut, cut me off. I don't know if you're giving me the wrap-it-up box or, or whatnot. Yeah. But uh, uh, I think the guy to take in the 50th round, and I think you're definitely going to see him no later than midseason and maybe earlier, is Kai Bush. I think he's a really under-the-radar the uh, prospect. The fact that Venancio doesn't know who he is, um, that's uh, that says a lot. And so uh, what I would say with that is I think of all the different um, pitchers, I think he's the closest thing to a true starter. Um, I think um, lefties are going to have real trouble with him. I think he's going to have the surprise factor. So I think you're going to see Kai Bush, and I think he's got a better chance – Granted, he's a lefty of being a guy that actually stays in the rotation um, versus uh, Silsac. So, and kind of back to the starting pitching, I'm pretty sure the Angels are projected to have a top 10 starting pitching. Last year, their starting pitching wasn't the problem. They have one of the better rotations in the league with upside. Their bullpen was the worst in the league last year. Their bullpen, bullpen was awful along with the offense. So I literally think their season, besides health, that bullpen could either be really good or really awful. It has a wide range of outcomes. And however that bullpen goes, I think the Angels are going to go. Um, but overall, the amount of depth that they put in, everything that people wanted the Angels to do, they've done. Short of signing a shortstop, which knowing our track record, Correa would have been a massive mistake. So unless they get Adamus, um, I think you're going to see um, a lot of Fletcher. And the one guy I did want to mention, and I don't know how it's going to work out, but I, I think Levon Soto is not appreciated enough. Um, he obviously has very little power, but the guy was top 10, I want to say, in five or six categories in the Southern League last year. He just he hits everywhere he goes. He was one of the two guys, along with my time, um, that the Braves lost. Um, uh, with that uh, scandal, uh, that scandal, yeah. yeah, and and you know, Maiton is you know, I don't want to go there. I mean, he makes himself <laughs> look like not a bust. Yeah. Um, but I I think that Soto, if they call him up, let's say if Fletcher gets hurt, um, or they need to, I think he's a good player, and I and I really think that it's very possible you'll see a lot of him. Um, and I hope so because I think he's a really really good player. I think he just plays well wherever he goes. And he obviously plays really, really good defense. So I don't know if they're going to keep him, um, you know, starting in the majors, but he's going to play a lot. And it's interesting to see how they'll use him. Like it, I like it a lot. There's a lot, lot to uh, between the pitching staff and then um, the top like five or six in the bag and over there, and then the platoon options that come down after that, and then the little Max Stassi nugget that could be a fun later round uh, DC target. There's definitely a lot in play for Anaheim than. There was in recent years. So, uh, any uh, any final thoughts on the, on your club? Uh, yeah, no, I'll give you the. Uh, and again, you can cut me off with this. The uh, little kind of uh, side story of everybody hates Moreno, um, yep. and I'm going to sell the team. Uh, no, I'm not going to sell the team. 
I'll leave you with this. If you want to know the backstory and the real reason that's going on, look into what happened with the Anaheim City Council counts, uh, canceling the sale and the mayor under an FBI probe eating uh, allegedly, he's never done the crime, but eating uh, uh, Moreno uh, intel that allowed him to purchase all the land around Anaheim Stadium for like $350 million, which I think 170 of it or something, they get in like some kind of rebate, thing like that. So there's so much backstory to it. But the long and the short of it, how it affects Otani, Moreno's got until 2029 under the lease to basically figure out what he's going to do. And so if he thinks that Otani's going to make him money, he will sign him. If he doesn't think Otani's going to make him money, he won't. But Otani's going to make him money. And I, I think that you want to know what why Moreno does what he does? It's money. Yeah, he's <laughs> That's a all, what, all he wants, in my opinion, is he wants to buy that land. Because if he gets that land and builds up that, you know, what they did in San Diego, kind of all that hipster, whatever, overcharging around the whole area, he's going to make billions over, you know, decades. And that's what he really wants. And if he doesn't get it, he'll try to sell the team for whatever number he can get, somebody to overpay. But he's in no rush to do anything other than to close a deal to try to buy the land. So. It, 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 that's an interesting thing. It doesn't yeah. get talked about enough, but um, th- that's what's really going on. That's that's why he's announcing the sale and pulling it back. He's just basically playing, you know, high playing state. a game. Yeah, playing a game with the Anaheim City Council. Oh, I'm going to sell the team. Somebody's going to buy it. You you want to play with them? Maybe they want to move. You know. <laughs> so I mean. Okay, oh. I, I wanted to add that because uh, no, it's, it's great. It's great though because it does add a few extra layers to the mix of a guy that will spend money on players without a question. If he, like you said, going to have the team for a long time and can make money on everything, well, then what's the city council? You know, can they help out with that so we have an idea on what's going to happen or not? It makes makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot yeah. of sense. It's always follow the money, folks. Follow the money. It's exactly. it's 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 true in life, pretty much everywhere you go. But um, Daniel. Appreciate you joining me, man. This was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of great Angels time. nuggets here. Yep. Um, we will definitely do this again sometime, and uh, we'll talk some uh, deep fantasy baseball, and maybe we'll get your buddy Ryan Venancio to, to, to talk to us as well. We'll see. We'll see. He's kind of big time now. He's got his own show. So yeah, Don't let it go to his head, man. That's the last thing he needs. So. <laughs> Everybody, make sure you follow Daniel on Twitter at dprep80. Uh, Daniel Preppis, thanks for joining me, my friend. Thanks again, Bubba. Really appreciate it. This is Bench with Bubba, your Los Angeles Angels season preview. Catch you guys later.